Over the last several weeks, we've been exploring the book of First Peter, and it's the series we've entitled The Common Made Holy, because that's what God is doing. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he doesn't leave us where we are, he transforms us and changes us. And so the whole image behind this letter of First Peter is that God is working in our life and in my life, even in the midst of trials, of difficulties, of disappointments, to transform us. And in a sense, it's much like um, uh, a piece of metal being placed within a, a forge where the flame is heating up to burn away the impurities so that it comes out as something beautiful that God can shape and make. In fact, he says in his word that your faith is more precious to him than gold. And so it's a hard letter because in order to obey it, we have to allow ourselves to be placed in the fire so that God can change us. But the reward is that we grow closer and closer to the Lord and we begin to look more and more like the Lord Jesus. Well, today we're going to explore the measure of a saint. Remember, as we've, we've used that, a saint is a person who has faith in Jesus Christ, who is set apart for obedience to Jesus Christ. It's not something that you have to have a, a miracle or uh, attributed to your name or that you get voted on by some council. A saint is simply a person who's put their trust in Christ and your value to the Lord is immeasurable. That's all of us who've trusted him. But here comes the question that is somewhat difficult. How do you measure how you're doing as a saint? There are some things that are easy to measure. For instance, we can take, we can take a tape measure and we can measure length. We can measure width. Um, if you're brave and not like me, you can use a scale and find out how much you weigh. Um, I've decided I don't want to do that anymore. Um, I used to, but anymore, I don't care. So, you know, if it, if it semi-fits, life is good. But how do we measure ourselves as a saint? Well, I'm going to show you what we tend to do, and so I'm going to ask Reuben to come up here. And, and Reuben, would you just stand down here for just a moment? Because Reuben is, he doesn't know this yet. Oh, right there, right, right there. You got to stand right there. That is the spot. Reuben is the ideal saint. I don't know about if you guys knew this, but he is, he is the man, okay? Just picture a big S right there. It's not Superman, it's saint. St. Reuben, everybody say hi to St. Reuben. Hi, St. Reuben. There you go. See, they got your name down. Now, here's what we tend to do when we're trying to determine how we measure as a saint, is I come up next to St. Reuben, and I try to figure out how well I'm doing. You know, how am I doing in height next to, next to you know, I'm, I, I'm getting there. And, and it, when it doesn't quite work, what I, what I do is I tend to cheat just, just a little bit, and I think, yeah, I'm doing okay. Reuben, he's, he's down there a little bit. I'm all right. Now, you laugh at that, but you do the same thing. Thank you, Reuben. That's, that's it. That's not how we're... He's, he's the man. That's not how God intends for us to measure our spirituality, to measure how we're growing with him. What he wants us to measure it by is his word and ultimately by the person and character of Jesus Christ. And so God gives us a way to measure our life and how we're growing spiritually here in his word. And so as we look at these verses, what I want you to, to look at is what God is calling you and I to is to grow 
more and more in these things. These are some of the measurements that we have here in God's word that helps us to to get an idea of what we should ask the Holy Spirit to be working on in us, areas where we want to grow in obedience. So let's look at these verses that Eunice read for us again, and um, I'm going to be reading it out of the the English Standard Version, so it sounds just a little bit different, but um, it's, it's the same. It's just slightly different words. He says this, the end of all things is at hand. So he's starting with a really important statement, and we're going to explore that. And he says, because the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And then in verse 8, he makes something incredibly important. He says, above all. In other words, if you miss everything else in my letter, don't forget this. It's the most important part of his whole message. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Flowing from that, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles or word of God whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. What he's giving us is the measurements of our life of of what we're to be growing towards. These few verses give us some indicators about what we should be growing in spiritually. And here they are. Let me just kind of give them, and then we're going to break them down a little bit. First of all, as a saint, if you want to be growing closer to the Lord, you need to be watching for his return. The end of all things is near. And that statement is absolutely packed. But ultimately, it points to the return of Jesus Christ. When we celebrate communion or Lord's Supper, like we will in a few moments, it is a reminder of what Christ has done, but it also is a reminder he's coming back. These elements, the bread and the cup, they point to his vow um, that we will be united as the bride of Christ to him and that he will return one day to receive his bride and he'll come back not as the suffering servant but as the conquering king. So we need to keep that in mind. Secondly, it says that a saint, if we're to grow in our faith, our prayers need to be intentional. They need to be focused and strategic. And thirdly, he says, a saint lives out the love of Jesus. That is the characteristic that should define us more than any other. Fourthly, a saint welcomes others with grace. That's what hospitality is. And fifthly, a saint serves like Jesus is watching. Nobody else may, no one else may notice, but Jesus is watching. So let's look at these and and see if we can unpack them and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts, beginning with the first measurement. A saint watches for Jesus' return. The end of all things is at hand. In other words, what he's saying is keep the end in sight. Remember that God judges and rewards every person. We saw that back um, just a few verses before in chapter three. And, And ultimately what Peter is encouraging you and I to do is to finish well, to make sure that we don't give up, that we don't quit. 
Um, finish well and don't get weary in well-doing, but be strategic in your life because the end of all things are near. Now, as Peter is writing this um, to the early church, to those who are exiles, who are scattered um, across the land that have been driven out oftentimes by persecution, there's a few different things that the end of all things would have meant to them. And, and, And I think all of them have application both to us as well as to the church and to the, the people that Peter is writing to. The first one, which is somewhat obvious, is that the end of the world is getting closer. Um, ultimately, even science tells us this world is wearing out. It's, it's winding down. The second law of thermodynamics, things move from a state of order to disorder, and it's progressively getting worse. Also, when we see and we look at human history, we can see it is progressively, in some ways, getting worse. Though technology advances, we still seem to be becoming more and more creative in ways of hurting, uh, hurting one another, beating other people down, of violence, of persecution. We haven't gotten much better. We need to remember for each of us, because even if we don't live to see the end of the world, I hate to tell you this, but your life is wearing down as well. The end of you is nearing, and the end of me is getting nearer and nearer. This life soon will pass, and we need to remember only what is done for Christ will truly last. This life, compared to eternity, is incredibly brief. Now, the second interpretation that I think applies to this and and. I believe that Peter was indicating because Peter would have been remembering all the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 uh, and also in the, in the uh, Gospel of Luke where it's talking about the end times, the end is near. And Jesus, as he was teaching on that, he taught both near fulfillment and far fulfillment. The near fulfillment was the destruction of Jerusalem. It would have been the end of all things Jewish. In 70 AD, or, or the Christian era, depending on which dating system you use, in 70, the Romans conquered Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and they brought an end, essentially, to everything that was Jewish. Everything that the roots of um, the Christians had been connected to with Judaism came to a violent end. That was rapidly approaching. It was probably only... Um, maybe five, six, or, or a few more years after this letter that these events took place in Jerusalem. The third possibility that Peter has in mind is the nearness of death of those who are reading this letter. He knew that many would face persecution and death because of their faith in Christ. And all three of those have application to us. What God is saying in his word is that if you're one who is a saint, one who has been set apart to obey Jesus Christ, you and I need to live strategically. We need to live intentionally, making sure that we are growing as a saint, becoming more and more like Jesus. And part of that is keeping in perspective that both the trials that you endure and the opportunities that you have are only for a season. If you're going through trial and difficulty right now, the encouraging thing is it's only going to last so long. The Lord will either bring deliverance or, or he'll bring you home. Either way, you win. 
But on the other hand, the opportunities that you and I have to do God's work, the call that he has placed on your life and my life, every one of us who placed their trust in Christ has a call upon their life. God has given you unique opportunities that will not come again. And so he's saying you need to remember the end is near and choose to live in such a way that you live for what lasts, that your life makes a difference. Be strategic in all that you do. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We're to keep that in mind and be intentional and we're to grow ultimately in our prayer life. That's the second point, is that a saint, one of the measurements of our life is that we pray intentionally. How's your prayer life doing? Do you pray as a response to circumstances? Or have you learned to be proactive and intentional in your prayer life? Setting aside time, recognizing that this is the greatest opportunity you and I have. The God of the universe who is perfectly holy has provided a way for you and I to walk right into his very throne room, to bow before his holy presence, to share our heart, and to listen to his voice. Prayer is a gift that we have been given that you cannot place a value on. But the truth is, most of us take it for granted. Most of our prayer life is determined by what is happening on the outside to us. It is a reaction to the circumstances we're experiencing. Things are going bad, we pray more fervently. We want to find an end to the problem. And, and remember, as I shared with you, that one of the reasons why God places you in circumstances which are outside of your control is to bring you to the point where you surrender to his control. But when we begin to learn to pray intentionally and strategically about the things that God is interested in, our life is transformed. Because now he can shape your life and my life, not just by external trials and difficulties, but by a transformation that his Holy Spirit and his word works within us that comes from our time in prayer. So here, I'm gonna give you some really simple, simple things. You've, you've heard me use this little acronym before, um, P-R-A-Y, as a way to kind of help structure our prayer life, to be intentional about the things that we pray. And so P-R-A-Y simply stands for praise, a return, ask, and yes. Pretty simple. Four simple words that can outline how we pray. We praise God for who he is. We remember what he has done, and we rest in what he is doing right now. And what you need to understand is this whole idea is based on the Lord's Prayer. These are simply taken out of how Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. We want to recognize God for who he is and praise him. And I want to encourage you, if there's one area we want to grow in our prayer life, it's in praise. Look for new ways to tell God that you love him, to thank him for new dynamics and aspects of life. 
And this is one of the reasons why learning God's word and memorizing God's word is so important is it helps us grow in our praise. Well, the second part, the returning, is that we're to return to walking with God. This is more than just confessing moral failures in our life. This looks for anything um, that is powered by something other than faith in God. And we ask God to redirect our life to be united and merged with him. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And he also taught us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Those two come together in that it's a returning. And as we looked at last week, what God calls us to do is to turn away from sin and turn to him. Repentance, which ultimately is what this is, always has those two components. It's not just feeling bad about what you've done or feeling bad because you were caught. It's a grief that turns you towards God so that you want to embrace him more and more. That's a returning that's an important part of our prayer life. Then thirdly, we're to ask in faith. Jesus is interceding for us continually. He is more concerned about the things on your heart than you are because he knows all of the circumstances and he holds them in his hand. And he gives us this promise that he lives to make intercession for us. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. So we want to ask in faith. We want to remember that he is interceding and we want to pray based upon that reality, based upon the truth that God is our provider. He is our protector. We want to pray based upon the scriptures that we've meditated on. And we find this in the Lord's Prayer as he tells us to pray and ask to give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He asks us to ask in faith for ourselves and for the lives of others and to to ask specifically things that will point people to who Jesus is and to faith in him that they may trust in the good news of Jesus Christ. And finally, Our prayers should always end with yes, which, by the way, the word amen basically means it is so or yes. It's not just a tag. What it's supposed to be is an affirmation of our heart where we say, yes, Lord, your will be done. I yield all that I am to you. I give you control of my life. I give you control of the concerns of my heart that I've asked you about. I'm placing all that I am and all that I'll ever be in your hands. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Praise, return, asking, and saying yes. How appropriate that after we ask God to help us, that we in turn, in obedience, say, yes, Lord. That's one of the keys to strategic prayers, is that not only do we ask but we listen to what God says and we respond with, yes, I will do it. Well, the third measurement that we have here in this passage is that a saint lives out the love of Jesus. Verse Peter 4 says, above, verse, verse 8 says, above all, keep, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We're to keep on loving It's an ongoing activity. It's something we have to be choosing to do day by day, moment 
by moment. And there's an incredible promise here where it says love covers a multitude of sins. It hides them. That's literally what it means. All of us make mistakes. All of us sometimes cause offenses. But if we keep on loving others actively, it covers over and hides those offenses. The idea of this comes from the words of Solomon in Proverbs. He says this in Proverbs 10, verses 11 through 12. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. I want you to remember that phrase. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Now, here's the thing, that, that what that means. Love sees the best in others. When we look with the eyes of Jesus, when we look with love, an active love, we're gonna see not where a person is, but who and what they're becoming in Christ, just as we hopefully see ourselves in that same light. We do not see the sh- to seek to ever put shame on others, but to build them up um, and to make sure that we're careful about what we say. To remember that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So do your words about others bring life? Are they refreshing? Here's a truth to remember is that how you speak about others says the most about you. The words that you choose to address others reflect back on you. This is why in in marriage counseling and premarital counseling especially, I always tell um, husbands and wives, do not tear down your spouse. When you criticize your spouse, especially to someone else, what you are truly saying is either I chose the wrong mate or I haven't surrendered to the point of learning to love them as God intends for me to love to where they're being built up and becoming who God created them to be. It ultimately reflects back on the one who is offering the criticism. We want to guard our words. That's what Jesus is telling us. And that applies to every relationship we have. Some good advice that's hard to live, but I pray the Lord will help me to do it, is to remember this. When you're right, shut up. It's a good thing. When I'm in the right, when I know I've done right, is not the time for me to tell everybody about it. On the other hand, when we're wrong, we need to admit it. You see, if we're in the right, we can trust the Lord to bring truth forth. We don't have to defend ourselves, but we want to be cautious about how we use our mouths. Above all, what what the word is telling us is that love should define us. More than any other mark, the follower of Jesus must be known for their love for God and their love for others. And loving God, according to Jesus, is proven by our love for our neighbor. That's why the second commandment of the great commandments was to love your neighbor as yourself. And why does God command us to love? All of God's commandments are for our good and for our joy. Jesus came to give us life and it more abundantly. And loving God and loving others um, fills your life with incredible, incredible joy like nothing else can do. No pleasure that you can seek. I mean, the greatest cruise that you can ever imagine being on will not fill your soul 
with joy the way loving others can. In fact, I think that's exactly what is meant by Psalm 119, verse 32. The psalmist says this, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Or if you, if you look at it in some of the footnotes, it says, for you set my heart free. When we run to obey God, especially in the commandment of loving God and loving others, he grows your heart. It gets, it gets bigger. You're able to experience more joy, more life, more fulfillment. And it comes by loving others as Jesus has loved us. It grows. And this is what what Jesus has done for us. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you and I were absolute enemies in rebellion against God, he reached out in love. And in the same way, he calls us, commands us to love our enemies. Even those who abuse you, take advantage of you, mock you, he calls us to love them. And that when we love as Christ loves, it covers over a multitude of sins and it it promotes opportunities for the gospel to take root in the hearts of others. People will see that there's something different. In fact, Jesus said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's our highest call, our highest mark that he's given us. Well, fourthly, a saint welcomes others with grace. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. We're to ultimately practice hospitality with others like Jesus is gonna show up. When he says not with, you know, without grumbling, this means that we don't practice hospitality in a way that we're expecting something in return or that we have conditions that we want to place upon those that we're being welcoming to. Instead, we're to practice hospitality like Jesus himself is showing up. Throughout the scripture, you see all kinds of images of this. In the New Testament, we see um, the hospitality of Mary and Martha because they knew that Jesus was coming. And and Martha gets a little sidetracked with the busyness of preparing, um, but she's being very hospitable. And Mary is there to listen at the feet of Jesus. Their focus is on Christ. That's what our focus should be on. We're to welcome others as if Jesus himself was showing up. And that, again, has to be um, intentional. And so what we want to do is be the one who's inviting others, that's being hospitable to others. To follow Jesus, what we've um, considered as our our points as a church that we want to follow are these three that we love God above all else that is demonstrated loving others, that we live his truth and that we give grace to others. And what we wanna do is be very practical in showing hospitality. Let me encourage you. We have a unique opportunity in our church that many churches across the world don't have. You have the incredible privilege, as do I, of getting to know people cross-culturally people from different dynamics, different backgrounds, different language groups, we have an opportunity to practice hospitality that is incredibly beautiful. Don't miss it. 
And if, if you're feeling intimidated by that and you're thinking, you know, no one's really invited me, let me encourage you to be bold and reach out to someone else. Invite them to, to lunch at the mall. Invite them to your, your flat or your apartment. Be hospitable. Giving grace, which I believe ultimately is what this means, that we're to welcome others with grace. As a church, I've shared this with you several times, but I just want to remind you of of it. There's a little acronym that I like to use for grace. Grace is God's view, radical hospitality, active listening, caring personally, and expecting God to work. With God's view, as we shared earlier, a couple years ago in the, the Masterpiece series, it's looking for the masterpiece in others. God has said that you are his workmanship. You are his artwork. You're a masterpiece. And what we're to do is to have God's view in looking for the masterpiece that God has designed in one another. And then from that, we want to practice a radical hospitality, sharing meals together, sharing life together, being a community. And then active listening. The greatest way to truly practice hospitality is not how good your meal is or how clean your house or flat is. It's how well we listen. Listen to get to know the other person, to hear what God is doing in their life. Active listening. And then caring personally, serving their needs in practical ways. And then finally, expecting God to work. We love as if Jesus is with us because he is. That's grace in in all its simplicity. Well, that brings us to the last point. Um, It says that a saint serves like Jesus is watching. No one else may see, but he does. As each one has received a gift, verse 10, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the very words or oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Doing these things always brings God's glory. It shows his greatness and it is for our good. But what he says is that every person, every believer, God has gifted you. Now, what happens in the church is so often we look at certain sets of gifts, and particularly um, the things that would be on the platform, and we think those are the important gifts. But every gift that God gives is incredibly valuable. And I believe with all my heart in God's economy, it is the things that oftentimes are are not seen by others that are the most valuable and most celebrated by God. God has given you spiritual gifts to be used for the building up of his body, the church, and the work of his kingdom. And so what he calls us to do is to serve in the church and then to go out and serve others as the church. Those two have to define our life. We're to use what God has given us and invest it wisely because the end of all things is at hand. Our time is running short. So we recognize that there are different gifts, but they're all gifts of grace. They all come from the Lord. 
and we want to serve the Lord with all that we are. And if you're having trouble finding a place to begin, you, you already heard a great commercial by Alex earlier, start doing something off of the rota. You can start with, um, you know, operating a camera. I did it for years and years. It doesn't require, you know, too much skill and activity. If I can do it, you can do it. I promise you. All right? Or find some other way to serve in the church, but then also ask the Lord to show you how to serve as the church. The church is not a place that we gather in. It is not a service that we come to. It is you and me, the body of Christ, his presence on earth. Find a place and begin to serve. And, and let me encourage you, you can, um, after the service, you can talk to, to Ian or Selena. Next week, especially if you're not, if you, for some reason, be, because there is an, uh, an emergency and you're not able to go on the retreat, um, everybody else, I'm sure, is going. Um, if you can't go, next week's a great time to step in and serve and help in a different way. But we want you to be at the retreat. So I'm tossed between two calls right there. Um, but you can talk to them or talk to me or one of the elders. God wants to use you, who you are, with the gifts he's given you to, adv- to build up his body and to advance his kingdom. Well, each one of those are marks of a saint that we're called to grow in. We're called to remember who God called us to be, to become like Jesus Christ. Now, the good news is none of us have to do any of that in our strength because you can't. When we come to the communion table, It is a reminder of what Jesus has done, not only on the cross, but what he does in us and through us. He is the giver and sustainer of life. The scripture tells us that on the night before he was crucified, that Jesus took bread, that he broke it, and that he blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is given for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. The scripture also tells us that he took the cup, he blessed it, and he said to his disciples, this cup is the the new covenant. It is my blood which is being poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. It covers over, just as love hides things, Jesus' blood covers over our sin, erases it completely, and clothes us with his righteousness. God wants to remind us through the elements of the Lord's Supper of what he has done, of what he is doing, and ultimately that he will one day soon return. And so as we gather in just a few moments um, for communion, we want to do so with a heart that is worshipful, that is remembering of what Christ has done. And remembering that just as he, the bread of life, gave himself for us, he will give us the strength day by day to live for him. And just as his cup was poured out, the blood of Jesus was poured out to cover over our sins and clothe us in righteousness, he will transform us and equip us to be his representation, his hands, 
his feet, his voice, his love in this world. The scripture tells us that when we come to the Lord's Supper, that we're never to do so lightly, that we're to take time and examine our own hearts. So I'm gonna ask you to just take a moment right now and be still, to bow your heads and ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything between you and me I need to confess right now? Lord, show me the sin of my own heart and enable me to repent of it. Whatever the Lord brings to mind, would you confess it to him? Which simply means to say what God says about it. The promise of God's word is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Dear Heavenly Father, would you prepare our hearts? Lord, let us Remember that this is a holy moment. That you, Lord Jesus, said to your disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. You eagerly desired to share the bread and the cup that represented your life being given with those first disciples. And you eagerly desire to share it with us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your body, which was given for us. Thank you for your blood, which was shed for us. Thank you for your life, which purchased our freedom and forgiveness. Lord God, as we come to the table, would you give us hearts of worship and wonder? And Lord, would you unite us together as your body? brothers and sisters brought together as one in communion in Jesus Christ. And as we take of the bread and the cup, we do so in remembrance of you, remembering what you have done, remembering what you are doing, and remembering that one day soon, you, King Jesus, will return. Well, we pray these things in the great and mighty name of our only Savior and our only Lord, Jesus Christ, amen. May I ask those who are serving to come and serve the elements of the Lord's Supper and I invite you to come and partake of the bread and of the cup. We have gluten-free bread for those who need it. We have both juice and wine. Um, we invite you to come to the table.